0: section three of the Chouans by honore de balzac translated by catherine wormley this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter one part three the strategical problem which troubled the commandant was causing quite as much uneasiness to the persons whom he had just seen on the summit of Mont. Pellerine. As soon as the drums of the National Guard were out of hearing, and terre had seen the blues at the foot of the declivity, he gave the owls' cry joyously, and the chouans reappeared, but their numbers were less. Some were no doubt busy in taking care of the wounded in the little village of La Pellerine situated on the side of the mountain which looks toward the valley of couesnon two or three chiefs of what were called the chasseurs de roi clustered about Marchaterre, a a few feet apart sat the young noble called the gare on a granite rock absorbed in thoughts excited by the difficulties of his enterprise which now began to show themselves March terre screened his forehead with his hand from the rays of the sun and looked gloomily at the road by which the blues were crossing the valley of la pelerine his small black eyes could see what was happening on the hill slopes on the other side of the valley the blues will intercept the messenger said the angry voice of one of the leaders who stood near him by st anne of Auray!" exclaimed another why did you make us fight was it to save your own skin from the blues marche terre darted a venomous look at his questioner and struck the ground with his heavy carbine am i your leader he asked then after a pause he added pointing to the remains of hulot's detachment if you had all fought as i did not one of those blues would have escaped and the coach could have got here safely they'd never have thought of escorting it or holding it back if we had let them go by without a fight no you wanted to save your precious skin and get out of their hands he has bled us for the sake of his own snout continued the orator and made us lose twenty thousand francs in good coin snout yourself cried marchater retreating three steps and aiming at his aggressor it isn't that you hate the blues but you love the gold die without confession and be damned for you haven't taken the sacrament for a year this insult so incensed the Chouan that he turned pale and a low growl came from his chest as he aimed in turn at marche the young chief sprang between them and struck their weapons from their hands with a barrel of his own carbine then he demanded an explanation of the dispute for the conversation had been carried on in the breton dialect and idiom with which he was not familiar monsieur le marquis said marche as he ended his account of the quarrel it is all the more unreasonable in them to find fault with me because i have left pille behind me he'll know how to save the coach for us what exclaimed the young man angrily are you waiting here all of you to pillage that coach a parcel of cowards who couldn't win a victory in the first fight to which i led you but why should you win if that's your object the defenders of god and the king are thieves are they by st anne of i have you know we are making war against the republic and not robbing travelers those who are guilty in future of such shameful actions shall not receive absolution nor any of the favors reserved for the faithful servants of the king a murmur came from the group of Chouans, and it was easy to see that the authority of the new chief was about to be disputed a young man on whom this effect of his words was by no means lost was thinking of the best means of maintaining the dignity of his command when the trot of a horse was heard in the vicinity all heads turned in the direction from which the sound came a lady appeared sitting astride of a little breton horse which she put at a gallop as soon as she saw the young leader so as to reach the group of chouans as quickly as possible what is the matter she said looking first at the chouans and then at their chief could you believe it madame they are waiting to rob the diligence from mayon to fougeres when we have just had a skirmish in order to release the conscripts of fougeres which has cost us a great many men without defeating the blues well where's the harm of that asked the young lady to whom the natural shrewdness of a woman explained the whole scene you've lost men but there's no lack of others the coach is bringing gold and there's always a lack of that we bury men who go to heaven and we take money which goes into the pockets of heroes i don't see the difficulty the chouin approved of her speech by unanimous smiles do you see nothing in all that to make you blush said the young man in a low voice are you in such need of money that you must pillage on the high road i am so eager for it marquis that i should put my heart in pawn if it were not already captured she said smiling coquettishly but where did you get the strange idea that you could manage without letting them rob a few blues here and there don't you know the saying thieving as an owl and that's a chouin besides she said raising her voice to be heard by the men it is just haven't the blues seized the property of the church and our own another murmur very different from the growl with which the chouin had answered their leader greeted these words the young man's face grew darker he took the young lady aside and said in the annoyed tone of a well-bred man will those gentlemen be at la Vivetiere on the appointed day yes she replied all of them the Clermont, grand jacques and perhaps ferdinand then allow me to return there i cannot sanction such robbery yes madame i call it robbery there may be honour in being robbed but well well she said interrupting him then i shall have your share of the booty and i am much obliged to you for giving it up to me the extra sum will be extremely useful for my mother has delayed sending me money so that i am almost destitute adieu cried the marquis he turned away but the lady ran after him why won't you stay with me she said giving him the look half despotic half caressing with which women who have a right to a man's respect let him know their wishes you are going to pillage that coach pillage what a word she said let me explain to you explain nothing he said taking her hand and kissing it with the superficial gallantry of a courtier listen to me he added after a short pause if i were to stay here while they capture that diligence our people would kill me for i should certainly not kill them she said quickly for they would bind your hands with all the respect that is due to your rank then having levied the necessary contribution for their equipment subsistence and munitions from our enemies they would unbind you and obey you blindly and you wish me to command such men under such circumstances if my life is necessary to the cause which i defend allow me at any rate to save the honour of my position if i withdraw now i can ignore this base act i will return in order to escort you so saying he rapidly disappeared the young lady listened to his receding steps with evident displeasure when the sound on the dried leaves ceased she stood for a moment as if confounded then she hastily returned to the chouan. with a gesture of contempt she said to who helped her to dismount that young man wants to make regular war on the republic ah well he'll get over that in a few days how he treated me she thought presently she seated herself on the rock where the marquis had been sitting and silently awaited the arrival of the coach it was one of the phenomena of the times and not the least of them that this young and noble lady should be flung by violent partisanship into the struggle of monarchies against the spirit of the age and be driven by the strength of her feelings into actions of which it may almost be said she was not conscious in this she resembled others of her time who were led away by an enthusiasm which was often productive of noble deeds like her many women played heroic or blameworthy parts in the fierce struggle the royalist cause had no emissaries so devoted and so active as these women but none of the heroines on that side paid for mistaken devotion or for actions forbidden to their sex with a greater expiation than did this lady when seated on that wayside rock she was forced to admire the young leader's noble disdain and loyalty to principle insensibly she dropped into reverie bitter memories made her long for the innocence of her early years and regret that she had escaped being a victim of the revolution whose victorious march could no longer be arrested by feeble hands the coach which as we now see had much to do with the attack of the Chouans, had started from the little town of a few moments before the skirmishing began nothing pictures a region so well as the state of its social material from this point of view the coach deserves a mention the revolution itself was powerless to destroy it in fact it still rolls to this present day when turgot bought up the privileges of a company obtained under louis fourteen for the exclusive right of transporting travellers from one part of the kingdom to another and instituted the lines of coaches called the turgotines all the old vehicles of the former company flocked into the provinces one of these shabby coaches was now plying between mayon and fougier a few objectors called it the turgotine partly to mimic paris and partly to deride a minister who attempted innovations this turgotine was a wretched cabriolet on two high wheels in the depths of which two persons if rather fat could with difficulty have stowed themselves the narrow quarters of this rickety machine not admitting of any crowding and the box which formed the seat being kept exclusively for the post of service the travellers who had any baggage were forced to keep it between their legs already tortured by being squeezed into a sort of little box in shape like a bellows the original color of coach and running gear was an insoluble enigma two leather curtains very difficult to adjust in spite of their long service were supposed to protect the occupants from cold and rain the driver perched on a plank seat like those of the worst parisian cuckoo shared in the conversation by reason of his position between his victims biped and quadruped the equipage presented various fantastic resemblances to decrepit old men who have gone through a goodly number of catars and apoplexies and whom death respects it moaned as it rolled and speaks spasmodically like a traveller overtaken by sleep it rocked alternately forward and back as though it tried to resist the violent action of two little Breton horses which dragged it along a road which was more than rough this monument of a past era contained three travellers who on leaving where they had changed horses continued a conversation begun with the driver before reaching the little town what makes you think the Chouans are hereabouts said the coachman they are nay people tell me that commandant hulot has not yet started from ho ho friend driver said the youngest of the travelers you risk nothing but your own carcass if you had a thousand francs about you as i have and were known to be a good patriot you wouldn't take it so easy you are pretty free with your tongue anyway said the driver shaking his head count your lambs and the wolf will eat them remarked another of the travellers this man who was dressed in black seemed to be about forty years old and was probably the rector of some parish in the neighbourhood his chin rested on a double fold of flesh and his florid complexion indicated a priest though short and fat he displayed some agility when required to get in or out of the vehicle perhaps you are Beauchamp, cried the man of the thousand francs whose ample goatskin covering trousers of good cloth and a clean waistcoat bespoke a rich farmer by the soul of st i swear you shall be roughly handled he turned his grey eyes from the driver to his fellow-travellers and showed them a pistol in his belt bretons are not afraid of that said the rector disdainfully besides do we look like men who want your money every time the word money was mentioned the driver was silent and the rector had wit enough to doubt whether the patriot had any at all, and to suspect that the driver was carrying a good deal. Are you well laden, Coupio? He asked. Oh, no, Monsieur Goudin replied the coachman. I'm carrying next to nothing. The priest watched the faces of the patriot and Coupio as the latter made this answer, and both were imperturbable. So much the better for you, remarked the patriot. I can now take measures to save my property in case of danger such despotic assumption nettled cupiot who answered gruffly i am the master of my own carriage and so long as i drive you are you a patriot or are you a chouan said the other sharply interrupting him neither the one nor the other replied Cupio. i am a postillion and what is more a breton consequently i fear neither blues nor nobles noble thieves cried the patriot ironically they only take back what was stolen from them said the rector vehemently the two men looked at each other in the whites of their eyes if we may use a phrase so colloquial sitting back in the vehicle was a third traveller who took no part in the discussion and preserved a deep silence the driver and the patriot and even paid no attention to this mute individual he was in truth one of those uncomfortable unsocial travellers who are found sometimes in a stage-coach like a patient calf that is being carried bound to the nearest market such travellers begin by filling their legal space and end by sleeping without the smallest respect for their fellow-beings on a neighbour's shoulder the patriot goudin and the driver had let him alone thinking him asleep after discovering that it was useless to talk to a man whose stolid face betrayed an existence spent in measuring yards of linen and an intellect employed in selling them at a good percentage above cost this fat little man doubled up in his corner opened his porcelain-blue eyes every now and then and looked at each speaker with a sort of terror he appeared to be afraid of his fellow-travellers and to care very little about the chouans. when he looked at the driver however they seemed to be a pair of freemasons. just then the first volley of musketry was heard on la la Palerine. coupio frightened stop the coach oh oh said the priest as if he had some means of judging it is a serious engagement there are many men the trouble for us monsieur goudin cried cupiot is to know which side will win the faces of all became unanimously anxious let us put up the coach at the inn which i see over there said the patriot we can hide it till we know the result of the fight the advice seemed so good that cupiot followed it the patriot helped him to conceal the coach behind a wood-pile the abbe seized the occasion to pull cupiot aside and say to him in a low voice has he really any money Hey, monsieur goudin if it gets into the pockets of your reverence they won't be weighed down with it when the blues marched by after the encounter on la palerine they were in such haste to reach Ornay that they passed the little inn without halting at the sound of their hasty march goudin and the innkeeper stirred by curiosity went to the gate of the courtyard to watch them suddenly the fat ecclesiastic rushed to a soldier who was lagging in the rear goudin he cried you wrong-headed fellow have you joined the blues my lad you are surely not in earnest yes uncle answered the corporal i've sworn to defend france unhappy boy you'll lose your soul said the uncle trying to rouse his nephew to the religious sentiments which are so powerful in the breton breast uncle said the young man if the king had placed himself at the head of his armies i don't say but what fool who is talking to you about the king does your republic give abbeys no it has upset everything how do you expect to get on in life stay with us sooner or later we shall triumph and you'll be counsellor to some parliament parliament said young goudin in a mocking tone good-bye uncle you shan't have a penny at my death cried his uncle in a rage i'll disinherit you thank you uncle said the republican as they parted the fumes of the cider which the patriot copiously bestowed on cupio during the passage of the little troop had somewhat dimmed the driver's perceptions but he roused himself joyously when the innkeeper having questioned the soldiers came back to the inn and announced that the blues were victorious he at once brought out the coach and before long it was wending its way across the valley when the blues reached an acclivity on the road from which the plateau of la Pelarine could again be seen in the distance hulot turned round to discover if the were still occupying it and the sun glinting on the muzzles of the guns showed them to him each like a dazzling spot giving a last glance to the valley of la pelerine before turning into that of hernay he thought he saw Coupio's vehicle on the road he had just traversed isn't that the mayon coach he said to his two officers they looked at the venerable turgotine and easily recognized it but said hulot how did we fail to meet it merle and gerard looked at each other in silence another enigma cried the commandant but i begin to see the meaning of it all at the same moment Mar Chater, who also knew the turgatine called his comrades attention to it and the general shout of joy which they sent up roused the young lady from her reflections she advanced a little distance and saw the coach which was beginning the ascent of la Pellerine with fatal rapidity the luckless vehicle soon reached the plateau the who had meantime hidden themselves swooped on their prey with hungry celerity the silent traveller slipped to the floor of the carriage bundling himself up into the semblance of a bale well done cried Coupio from his wooden perch pointing to the man in the goatskin you must have scented this patriot who has lots of gold in his pouch the jean greeted these words with roars of laughter crying out Pile eh Pile pilamiche amid the laughter to which pilamiche responded like an echo Coupillot came down from his seat quite crestfallen when the famous cibot otherwise called pilamiche helped his neighbour to get out of the coach a respectful murmur was heard among the chouans. it is the abbe goudin cried several voices at this respected name every hat was off and the men knelt down before the priest as they asked his blessing which he gave solemnly here could trick st peter and steal the keys of paradise said the rector slapping that worthy on the shoulder if it hadn't been for him the blues would have intercepted us then noticing the lady the Ape went to speak to her apart terre, who had meantime briskly opened the boot of the cabriolet held up to his comrades with savage joy a bag the shape of which betrayed its contents to be rolls of coin it did not take long to divide the booty each one received his share so carefully apportioned that the division was made without the slightest dispute then marchataire went to the lady and the priest and offered them each about six thousand francs can i conscientiously accept this money Monsieur gaudin said the lady feeling a need of justification why not madame in former days the church approved of the confiscation of the property of protestants and there is far more reason for confiscating that of these revolutionists who deny god destroy chapels and persecute religion the Abbe then joined example to precept by accepting without the slightest scruple the novel sort of tithe which mar offered to him besides he added i can now devote all i possess to the service of god and the king for my nephew has joined the blues and i disinherit him was bemoaning himself and declaring that he was ruined join us said Chater, and you shall have your share they'll say i let the coach be robbed on purpose if i return without signs of violence oh is that all exclaimed marchettaire he gave a signal and a shower of bullets riddled the turgatine and at this unexpected volley the old vehicle gave forth such a lamentable cry that the chouan, superstitious by nature, recoiled in terror, but marchater caught sight of the pallid face of the silent traveller rising from the floor of the coach. You've got another fowl in your coop, he said in a low voice to Coupillot. Yes, said the driver, but I make it a condition of my joining you that I be allowed to take that worthy man safe and sound to Fougere. I'm pledged to it in the name of Saint Anne of auray Who is he? asked P. Le that I can't tell you, replied Coupio let him alone said Chater, shoving pille with his elbow he is vowed by st anne of aure and must keep his word very good said pille addressing cupiot but mind you don't go down the mountain too fast we shall overtake you a good reason why i want to see the cut of your traveller and give him his passport just then the gallop of a horse coming rapidly up the slopes of la Pellerine was heard and the young chief presently reappeared the lady hastened to conceal the bag of plunder which she held in her hand you can keep that money without any scruples said the young man touching the arm which the lady had put behind her here is a letter for you which i have just found among mine which were waiting for me at la it is from your mother then looking at the chouans who were disappearing into the woods and at the turgotine which was now on its way to the valley of guisnon he added after all my haste i see i am too late god grant i am deceived in my suspicions it was my poor mother's money cried the lady after opening her letter the first lines of which drew forth her exclamation a smothered laugh came from the woods and the young man himself could not help smiling as he saw the lady holding in her hand the bag containing her share in the pillage of her own money she herself began to laugh well well marquis god be praised this time at least you can't blame me she said smiling levity in everything even your remorse said the young man she colored and looked at the marquis with so genuine a contrition that he was softened the abbe politely returned to her with an equivocal manner the sum he had received then he followed the young leader who took the by-way through which he had come before following them the lady made a sign to marchartel who came to her advance towards mortagne she said to him in a low voice I know that the Blues are constantly sending large sums of money in coin to Alençon to pay for their supplies of war. If I allow you and your comrades to keep what you capture today, it is only on condition that you repay it later. But be careful that the Gar knows nothing of the object of the expedition. He would certainly oppose it. In case of ill luck, I will pacify him. Madame said the Marquis after she had rejoined him and had mounted his horse on Coupe, giving her to the abb my friends in paris write me to be very careful of what we do the republic they say is preparing to fight us with spies and treachery it wouldn't be a bad plan she replied they have clever ideas those fellows i could take part in that sort of war and find foes i don't doubt it cried the marquis advises me to be cautious and watchful in my friendships and relations of every kind the republic does me the honour to think me more dangerous than all the vandians put together and counts on certain of my weaknesses to lay hands upon me surely you will not distrust me she said striking his heart with the hand by which she held to him are you a traitor madame he said bending towards her his forehead which she kissed in that case said the Abbe, referring to the news fouche's police will be more dangerous for us than their battalions of recruits and count yes true enough father replied the marquis ah ah cried the lady Fouché means to send women against you, does he? I shall be ready for them," she added in a deeper tone of voice, and after a slight pause, at a distance of three or four gunshots from the plateau now abandoned, a little scene was taking place, which was not uncommon in those days on the high roads. After leaving the little village of La Pellerine, Pierre, and Marchaterre again stopped the turgotine at a dip in the road. Coupio got off his seat after making a faint resistance the silent traveller extracted from his hiding-place by the two chouins found himself on his knees in a furze-bush who are you asked marge Hattel in a threatening voice the traveller kept silence until pillemiche put the question again and enforced it with the butt-end of his gun i am jacques Pinot," he replied with a glance at Coupio, a poor linen draper cupiot made a sign in the negative not considering it an infraction of his promise to saint anne the sign enlightened pillamiche who took aim at the luckless traveller while Chater laid before him categorically a terrible ultimatum you are too fat to be poor if you make me ask you your name again here is my friend pillamiche who will obtain the gratitude and good-will of your heirs in a second who are you he added after a pause i am d'argemont of fougere ah ah cried the two i didn't owe your name monsieur d'orgemont said cupiot the holy virgin is my witness that i did my best to protect you inasmuch as you are monsieur d'orgemont a fougere said marchater with an air of ironical respect we shall let you go in peace only as you are neither a good chouan nor a true blue thought it was you who bought the property by the abbe de Joufigny, you will pay us three hundred crowns of six francs each for your ransom neutrality is worth that at least three hundred crowns of six francs each chorused the luckless banker piamiche and cupio in three different tones alas my good friend continued dogemont i'm a ruined man the last forced loan of that devilish republic for a hundred millions sucked me dry taxed as i was already how much did your republic get out of you a thousand crowns my dear man replied the banker with a piteous air hoping for a reduction if your republic gets forced loans out of you for such big sums as that you must see that you would do better with us our government would cost you less three hundred crowns do you call that dear for your skin where am i to get them out of your strong box said piamiche and mind that the money is forthcoming or we'll singe you still how am i to pay it to you asked dorgemont your country house at forgers is not far from jibberi's farm where my cousin jalope chopin otherwise called cibot lives you can pay the money to him said piamiche that's not business like said what do we care for that said marchater but mind you remember that if that money is not paid to Gelope chopin within two weeks we shall pay you a little visit which will cure your gout as for you cupio added marchater your name in future is to be manet so saying the two chouans departed the traveller returned to the vehicle which thanks to Coupillot's whip now made rapid progress to fougere if you had only been armed said cupiot we might have made some defence idiot cried d'orgemont pointing to his heavy shoes i have ten thousand francs in those soles do you think i would be such a fool as to fight with that sum about me menne bien scratched his ear and looked behind him but his new comrades were out of sight hulot and his command stopped at arnais long enough to place the wounded in the hospital of the little town and then without further hindrance they reached mayon there the commandant cleared up his doubts as to the action of the Chouans. for on the following day the news of the pillage of the Turgotine was received a few days later the government dispatched to mayon so strong a force of patriotic conscripts that hulot was able to fill the ranks of his brigade disquieting rumors began to circulate about the insurrection a rising had taken place at all the points where during the late war the chouans and bretons had made their chief centres of insurrection the little town of saint-james between pontorson and fougere was occupied by them apparently for the purpose of making it for the time being a headquarters of operations and supplies from there they were able to communicate with normandy and the morbihan without risk their subaltern leaders roamed the three provinces, roused all the partisans of monarchy, and gave consistence and unity to their plans. These proceedings coincided with what was going on in La Vendée, where the same intrigues under the influence of four famous leaders, the abbe Vernal, the Comte de Fontaine, de Chatillon, and Suzanne were agitating the country. The Chevalier de Valois, the Marquis de Scrignon, and the Troisvilles were. It was said, corresponding with these leaders in the department of the Orne. The chief of the great plan of operations, which was thus developing slowly but in formidable proportions, was really the Gar, a name given by the Chouan to the Marquis de montauran on his arrival from England. The information sent to Hulot by the war department proved correct in all particulars. The Marquis gained, after a time, sufficient ascendancy over the Chouans to make them understand the true object of the war and to persuade them that the excesses of which they were guilty brought disgrace upon the cause they had adopted the daring nature the nerve coolness and capacity of this young nobleman awakened the hopes of all the enemies of the republic and suited so thoroughly the grave and even solemn enthusiasm of those regions that even the least zealous partisans of the king did their part in preparing a decisive blow in behalf of the defeated monarchy hulot received no answer to the questions and the frequent reports which he addressed to the government in paris but the news of the almost magical return of general bonaparte and the events of the eighteenth room were soon current in the air the military commanders of the west understood then the silence of the ministers nevertheless they were only the more impatient to be released from the responsibility that weighed upon them and they were in every way desirous of knowing what measures the new government was likely to take when it was known to these soldiers that general bonaparte was appointed first consul of the republic their joy was great they saw for the first time one of their own profession called to the management of the nation france which had made an idol of this young hero quivered with hope the vigour and energy of the nation revived paris weary of its long gloom gave itself up to fetes and pleasures of which it had been so long deprived the first acts of the consulate did not diminish any hopes and liberty felt no alarm the first consul issued a proclamation to the inhabitants of the west the eloquent allocutions addressed to the masses which bonaparte had as it were invented produced effects in those days of patriotism and miracle that were absolutely startling his voice echoed through the world like the voice of a prophet for none of his proclamations had as yet been belied by defeat inhabitants an impious war again inflames the west the makers of these troubles are traitors sold to the english or brigands who seek in civil war opportunity and license for misdeeds to such men the government owes no forbearance nor any declaration of its principles but there are citizens dear to france who have been misled by their wiles it is so such that truth and light are due unjust laws have been promulgated and executed arbitrary acts have threatened the safety of citizens and the liberty of consciences Mistaken entries on the list of emigres imperil citizens, the great principles of social order have been violated. The consuls declare that liberty of worship, having been guaranteed by the constitution, the law of eleven real, year three, which gives the use of edifices built for religious worship to all citizens, shall be executed. The government will pardon it will be merciful to repentance. its mercy will be complete and absolute but it will punish whosoever after this declaration shall dare to resist the national sovereignty well said hulot after the public reading of this consular manifesto isn't that paternal enough but you'll see that not a single royalist brigand will be changed by it the commandant was right the proclamation merely served to strengthen each side in their own convictions a few days later hulot and his colleagues received reinforcements the new minister of war notified them that general brune was appointed to command the troops in the west of france hulot whose experience was known to the government had provisional control in the departments of the orne and Mayenne. an unusual activity began to show itself in the government offices circulars from the minister of war and the minister of police gave notice that vigorous measures entrusted to the military commanders would be taken to stifle the insurrection at its birth but the chouan and the Vendians had profited by the inaction of the directory to rouse the whole region and virtually take possession of it a new consular proclamation was therefore issued this time it was the general speaking to his troops soldiers there are none but brigands emigres and hirelings of england now remaining in the west the army is composed of more than fifty thousand brave men let me speedily hear from them that the rebel chiefs have ceased to live glory is won by toil alone if it could be had by living in barracks in a town all would have it soldiers whatever be the rank you hold in the army the gratitude of the nation awaits you to be worthy of it you must brave the inclemencies of weather ice snow and the excessive coldness of the nights you must surprise your enemies at daybreak and exterminate those wretches the disgrace of france make a short and sure campaign be inexorable to those brigands and maintain strict discipline national guards join the strength of your arms to that of the line if you know among you any men who fraternize with the brigands arrest them let them find no refuge pursue them if traitors dare to harbor and defend them let them perish together what a man cried hulot it is just as it was in the army of italy he rings in the mass and he says it himself don't you call that talking Hey. yes but he speaks by himself and in his own name said gerard who began to feel alarmed at the possible results of the eighteenth and where's the harm since he's a soldier said merle a group of soldiers were clustered at a little distance before the same proclamation posted on a wall as none of them could read they gazed at it some with a careless eye others with curiosity while two or three hunted about for a citizen who looked learned enough to read it to them now you tell us clef de coeur what that rag of a paper says cried Beaupier in a saucy tone to his comrade easy to guess replied clef de coeur at these words the other men clustered round the pair who were always ready to play their parts look there continued clef de coeur pointing to a coarse woodcut which headed the proclamation and represented a pair of compasses which had lately superseded the level of seventeen ninety three it means that the troops that's us are to march firm don't you see the compasses are open both legs apart that's an emblem such much for your learning my lad it isn't an emblem it's called a problem i've served in the artillery continued beaupier and problems from meat and drink to my officers i say it's an emblem it's a problem what will you bet anything your german pipe done by your leave adjutant isn't that thing an emblem and not a problem said clef de coeur following gerard who was thoughtfully walking away it is both he replied gravely the adjutant was making fun of you said beaupier that paper means that our general in italy is promoted consul which is a fine grade And we are to get shoes and overcoats. End of chapter one End of Section three